Welcome to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective. Presented to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome once again, folks, to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. I, of course, am Nathan, and joining me as always... I am Bob. And uh, I'm going to give you guys a full disclosure with this episode. We actually originally recorded this podcast about six weeks ago, and uh, it was a pretty good podcast. We were both very happy with it. Good book. And, and the, uh, the way that we were recording these podcasts up until today is uh, we would record them, and then like a week later, I would edit them and then put them up online. And what happened was at some point, maybe the computer updated or I didn't save it because I'm lazy and lackadaisical. We lost the podcast. So w- w- the work we did was great, and it, it is forever gone. So today, we're going to re-record it back from our holiday break. Uh, how was your break, Bob? My break was amazing, man. Good to hear. Good to hear. And you, you traveled across the country. I went to the other half, the other side of the country, in fact. I, I stayed home in the dark. But anyways, not to waste any more time with nonsense. The book that we're reviewing today is Who's Who Among Vampires? The Children of the Inquisition. Yeah. And uh, this particular book details 13 of White Wolf's early NPCs. So for those of you who aren't aware, NPC means non-player character. They're basically plot characters. And really, uh, they're, they're canon characters. Yes. Yeah. their first set of canon characters, in fact. Right, to, to sort of uh, create this running theme throughout the game. And they're characters that you can add to your, your particular game. You know, your storylines. Honestly, you should. All the great games are going to have the material that was put out by White Wolf somewhere in them. They don't have to be a focus, but they might be a backdrop or a background story that the storyteller mentions or a character somebody runs into the influence of or just even hears about. Because they create that depth of a world that you're not the only vampire in it. No, you're absolutely right. Um, I know the first character. Of course, you do as well. And it's a character that's had uh, interactions in the game up to this point in a number of books, mostly like letters at the front of books or at the back of books we've mentioned to a degree. And that's Vlad Tepes, Dracula. 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 Dracula is indeed uh, considered a member of the ancient Inkanu. And in fact, a lot of people like to give him credit and even hints to it giving credit that he founded the Inkanu. Um, the Inkanu being that sect, one of the first sects that they outline, that is a group of vampires that step back mm-hmm. to watch this silent war they discovered that's going on, where they believe the most ancient of vampires will wake up to wage war on one another for control of the human race, yeah. or their food for that matter. And it's called the Jihad, that's what it's referred yeah. to as. And Dracula, with the Inkanu, want to see where these ancients might be sleeping, or actually really just see if they can discover the influence of this uh, this jihad at work. Right. And at this point in their storyline, it, it seems to me, at least from what I've read and, and what they've inferred, that the the jihad, the great jihad, and the Inkanu's role in it is simply observers. Yes. It's not going to be until way later that they, they iron out more information about them. I think for many, many years, they sort of just leave them as this mysterious sect of vampires that don't really participate. An interesting fact about the Inkanu, other than Dracula, they mention that the rest of them are these ancients that made a deal with a demon to be considered safe mm-hmm. from these ancients when they wake up, a deal that was accepted. I found it weird because nowhere in Dracula's 
anything that they have out. <laughs> right. Does it ever state that no. this happens? It's just this book that comes out later on that has it in. Right. But there is an excerpt that we kind of read over where it was a rumor, right? Right. It's a rumor in the earliest books. We already went over it. The fact is that they have tons of excerpts where in all these books where they say this could be going on, and they're all rumors. And, you know, it's up to you to say, hey, they're real or not. Um, but White Wolf said that, yes, that one was real. And I found it the most outlandish, off-the-wall ones to say, uh-huh, it's good. <laughs> and it doesn't include Dracula. Right. Now, cool things about Dracula... First and foremost, he's the most famous, right? Right. He's the one most talked about in real life as well when it comes to vampires. And White Wolf kind of does him a solid in a cool way, right? And they right. make him this guy who's a backdrop of the Zemis clan, right? Or Zimache or Zimache, depending on you want to pronounce it. Right, or Shamase or... Yep, yeah. and he's a rebel, right? Dracula is such a badass that he didn't only... We know his mortal history. We're not going to go over it with you. Uh, but it's important to note that it is in this book, Children of the Inquisition. Mm -hmm. Tells you what he was about, what his dad was about, the trouble in Wallachia that was going on, how he became the prince, right. and how he gained his moniker, the Impaler. But then it also goes beyond that, right? Talks about how one of the people that um, he encountered were these ghouls. These ghouls on the battlefield who swore loyalty to Dracula, telling him that there's more power out there. We gotta find these vampires. And Dracula, instead of going, cut off his head, he's an idiot, vampires aren't real, went, alright, you may be right, where are they? Right. They went and found him, and the poor bastard, like, first one they got was Lombok Ruthven, who's his amis, who I believe at this time is kind of trapped on this estate, just kind of doing his thing as his amis. And they really don't say why he was there, just involved in the Zemisi war with the Ventru, and he gets trapped. Right. And when they take him, they lock him in a cell. Dracula comes in and goes, you're going to make me a vampire. To hell with this ghoul stuff. You're making me a vampire, or we're going to kill you. And Lombok was like, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> so you got me yeah and then he makes him and just cuts lombok loose like now get out of here and don't ever come back to my fiefdom right and lombok was like yeah cool deuces and left and lombok has his own thing and we'll get to that when we get to him but that's really the important parts of his embrace right yeah and now he has this army and he starts realizing yeah i'm ancient i'm learning all this stuff but being a vampire is its own bag and i kind of want to get out of history here i want to get away from all this stuff and he fades yeah. and rightly so and then he pops up his head for the the Inkanu later on down the road. After, of course, he he joined every sect. Right. That's the thing to note, too. Right. He was there for the founding of the Camarilla, or the Camarilla, depending on how fancy you want to get with it. And he was there for the founding of the Sabbat during the Anarch Wars. And, of course, survived the Inquisition, hence why he's in this book. Before he goes, I'm Inkanu, deuces, I'm away from all of you. Right. And now I'm doing this for my own thing. But not before he decided to talk to a mortal about who he was. And this mortal wrote a book about him. Right. You know, yeah. we, well, right. No. we and we know where history takes that. Good old Bram Stoker, and then that's that. Right. And that's that's really it for Dracula, just to give him a cool little place in White Wolf's yeah. damned history. And and uh, at the end of the day, he, he is one of those characters that's like, uh, it's an interesting little side character that uh, now it all makes sense. Um, but at the end of the day, he's not really going to be the big mover and shaker of, of the, the prime plots of Vampire the Masquerade. Right, and one of the cool things me and Nate are going to do, well, what use is this book? Well, right now we're going to go over each character briefly, mm -hmm. and then we're going to give, he and I both going to give you an idea what to do with this character. Right. My idea is what you could do with Dracula. He's an excellent mentor to have uh, through either a written letter, because that's what he communicates with, or if he's somebody who travels. He can show up in whatever chronicle you have and doesn't need a reason. Right. He's a world traveler, but if he has someone he's mentoring, why not? Stop in and say hi. Cool guy to drop plots through. Right. Easily done. 
Right. But he's not uh, he's not someone you're going to want to focus your main event around. No. That really kind of destroys the mystique of that character. And that's really how it should be handled. It should be handled as a character that's just outside of view of the, you know, the, the daily workings of your chronicle. This uh, brings us to the next kind of opposite side of the spectrum. We got uh, good old Patricia Bolingbrook or Patricia yeah. of Bolingbrook. Uh, Tyler. Yep. And uh, Tyler, we talked about previously in the Chicago books. Um, she's a pretty important character to the plot of that city. So right. very large in the metal pl- meta plot of the game up to this point. And, and I'm going to do this since we seeded her already in the previous podcast. Check that out uh, for the majority of it. But we'll go over briefly her importance yeah. relating to this book. Now, Tyler here is listed as the Bruja Elder of the Camarilla. She, of course, is. Now, the important fact of her is, is her impact to the clan of Ventru. We didn't yeah. go into this. No, we didn't. Right here. Note that Tyler, big, big drop here for canon. She's the one who diabolized the original Hardestat. Right. And when, and for those of you that don't know, Hardestat is like the alpha of the Venture Clan, is the basically the most important face of the Venture Clan, especially during the time of the Inquisition, during the Anarch Revolt. Hardestat is, is the Ventru. And Hardestat's importance is he's one of the founders of the Camarilla, and he leads the Coterie. That, is, that was called simply the Founders right? before they were the Camarilla. And Tyler wasn't a part of that at all. It was just Hardestat. And then Rafael de Corazon, who's also in this book, was the one who pitched it from that coterie of the Founders to form the Camarilla. So when the leader of the Camarilla gets diabolized by a Bruja Elder, that's a big deal. Yeah. But the trick is, it's kept in secret by Clan Ventura. Right. They deny it. They don't ever acknowledge that it happened. They place somebody up there instead called Hardestat the Younger. I'll state that again. Hardestad the Younger. They literally embrace a new Hardestad if need be. Right. And implant as many thoughts and ideas into that person's brain as to what Hardestad did and what he was about so that the Ventru do not lose their position in the Camarilla. Right. They wouldn't, by the way. Right, but they can't show the weakness against the rabble of the Bruja clan. And they have that flaw. Ventru anachronistic. They, they can't let go, and they definitely won't let go of power, and that's another way. Tyler's importance is that alone above anything else in my opinion she comes from a tragic background of course we talked about that we know why her name's tyler so patricia bolingbrook good old tyler watt was an anarch in the revolt who was killed yada 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 that's, that's yeah great. there's a lot of identity theft and you know changing your face and name and you know, the identities have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty and that's that's basically what we're looking at with her but but the important thing mm-hmm. that's really it in a nutshell that's her importance right. in the book that's why she's here because this is all supposed to be going down during the tumult of the Inquisition. Right. This is when allegedly all the, well, not allegedly, all the, the church, other mortal organizations are deciding vampires are bad, we're killing all demons, and it's just scourging the earth right. of everything they encounter. This is the skullduggery that's going on from the vampires while this is going on. This is how she was able to diabolize right. artist dad, get away with it and all that. And, and, and also, this, this uh, just as a side note, this book really does a good job of showing you where they're going to end up going with Vampire Dark Ages. Right. Uh, because that that's just as popular in some circles as the standard Vampire the Masquerade game, and it shows you a lot of that history that builds up to present time. Yeah, it just seeds it, because, I mean, it's no joke. I didn't even think about that. They just tell you what went on, and at any given point, you can drop your right. chronicle right in it and take part in it, which is super cool. I think Tyler is best to use as that Bruja Elder who damn well is paranoid that someone knows who she really is. Right. I think she's best used as that. 
And what that means is that if you're a storyteller who's looking for a good chronicle and you happen to be in the Chicago neck of the woods, which is where they canon wise put Tyler. And she, by the way, she's there because it's far away from Europe, <laughs> far away from where she right. did her crime. And and also she controls an airport. I don't know if there's any reason for that. Like right. maybe quick getaways. Who knows? <laughs> her private jet. You're right. She frequently right. stays in her own hangar. I mean, right. these are all cool signs of a character who, well, controls transportation. That's not, I yeah. mean, that's Nate's point, my point in a nutshell, that you can have someone who, if you need to make a deal to send your coterie anywhere, your group, your troop, wherever they want to go. Tyler's a good person to use. She's the only one in Canada I know uh, that controls an airport, especially O'Hare. Right. The largest uh, airport in the middle of the country. It's, uh, it's a pretty good uh, friend to have. Good character. Uh, next on the stop of uh, nice, good characters, we got Karsh. Oh, my internet came back. Was he going to? Bravo. <laughs> yeah. Karsh is the gangrel warlord of the Camarilla. Now, to explain the title of warlord... I don't know what that is. No, I, I have internet now. Oh, you do? Okay. So, what the warlord position is in the Camarilla, and it is a position, it's basically their general. It's right. their right-hand warsmith. The founders will not wage war on anyone, because that puts their neck out, puts them at risk. So they created this title of warlord. Now, what a warlord does, and it's only Karsh, only has ever been Karsh, because Karsh is a veritable blood god of war and pain. Yeah. He doesn't need to be replaced, because good luck. And you'd have to justify it as a storyteller. Karsh gets hit by a falling comet. You need to make a new warlord. If a falling comet, and even then, he could survive the falling comet. I'm yeah, just yeah. saying. It's, it's one of the most um, ridiculously powerful characters in the game uh, in print, uh, at least up to this point. Uh, there are some more ridiculously powerful characters, but they're not typically active. Right. And that's the big differentiator. Karsh is active and the point of him in this book other than just being a cool background and being the warlord that is is that it showcases the politics the founders are super powerful but they put all their influence through the warlord the warlord consults with the justicars the justicars have their archons and that's the control of the camarilla then you have your princes and their cities and all the other hubbub that we all know and love but the important thing is it says storytellers if you need a tool or a plot hammer that says your crazy, chaotic players who are running around tearing stuff up will be brought to heal. His name's Karsh. He's in this book. They will be brought to heal. You yeah. don't need an excuse. Yeah, as a, as a storyteller, it's definitely a trump card. It's like, well, uh, I got to go and pull this out of the briefcase. Uh, I got to, you know, right. dial the red phone. And this is what you get. Uh, but beyond that, it's a very interesting character concept. And so like anything else that this game typically provides, they're going to give you more than just that plot hammer, you know, like you called it more than just, you know, pressing the button for the nukes. For sure. They give you an actual character that, you know, if you wanted to run a, a, a game around the concept of that character, you could do it. You, you definitely Easily. could do it. And uh, it would be a very tense, very interesting a uh, couple of hours that you you run this game every week. And again, not to we don't want to bore you either. You know, Karsh's right. roots come. He's Muslim. Was involved in Muslim-Turkish wars back in the day. Uh, was promoted to that of being a... Kind of, how you would relate to it is he's a chieftain, basically. Um, or a guardian, I guess would be a better term. Um, he protected the sultan. Uh, the sultan on more than one occasion. Uh, was chosen to lead his armies. And it was that that's where his embrace happens, yeah. in fact. Um, one night he gets too far from his army and he gets claimed by a group of enigmatic gangrel out on the steps that were 
legend. Right. They, they were mentioned briefly, and that was that, and he was claimed. And so life went on. And he chose his part to stay close to his people. and But he's a gang girl wandered, and all that's in there. And you kind of see where he goes and how he comes to his rise, as it were. But more than anything, and I will be the first to say this, it's like White Wolf went, cool, we need to put something of a story to him other than his obvious. Right. Here it is. <laughs> right. And, and enjoy that for what it is. And I think it's a great, it is, it's still, it's still a good character because the, the effort they put into it, but anyone who's experienced in this game is going to realize off the bat that it's like if you ever encountered that prince, if a storyteller made the prince, well, you're not killing this, you're not killing the prince. Right. Especially if, if, if you don't trust your storyteller, you already know that's not for this podcast, but there's, there's certain things that, that storytellers do with NPCs that make them unkillable. Like the more a storyteller likes a character, the least likely you're going to be able yeah, to do it's anything a, it's about it. It's a common protection sort right. of uh, scenario. You make a character, you don't want it to die because it's basically at the end of the day the representation of you. Well, you don't need that ever. You have Karsh. Right, right. That's it. That is it. That's the only thing that needs to be said about that. Now, how I would use Karsh, I like the idea of. Karsh comes to a meeting and he, you know, th- if you're going to run an Archon Chronicle and want to do it right, mm-hmm. Karsh appoints Archons to certain Justicars for a reason. Yeah. And that's the political half. He doesn't tell that Justicar why you're assigned this group of Archons. He just does. And the storyteller could have a thousand reasons. That should get your head peeking right there. Are the Archons watching the Justicars? Justicars looking at the Archons. Why did Karsh get involved? All this stuff is great. Right. I personally, I agree with you to a certain extent. Um, I, I feel like the concept of Karsh, the term, the name Karsh should be something that when it's whispered, it becomes a concern for everyone in the city, uh, you know, in the, in the goddamn state personally. Um, I think that a character like this should be used sparingly and when it is used, it should be you know, it, it it can't be like a wrestling promo. Do you know what I mean? Like I do know, it, but it, the, the very concept there's a warlord, right? And that someone in your coterie, oh, I know what a warlord is, right? That person should be slapped. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's not a known position, right? Right, and, and doesn't even know he exists. That's precisely my point. You know, it should be when that concept is uttered, the prince should be running scared. The exactly. prince of your city, the justicar should be like, oh, things are really bad. The justicars know about this dude, right? But not the prince. If the prince knows. Right, there's a problem. Yeah, there's something. Uh, but good uses for it. Fear, yeah. control, maintaining control. That's that dude. Absolutely. So next up is, uh, I don't know how to pronounce this totally. Vasen Tessena. Yeah, or uh, Vasen Tessena. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not uh, Vasen Tessena. Yeah, it's Vasen a difficult da. name to, to pronounce. Makibin Enchi Tribute of the Sabbat. And... Um, I think this is one of the ones that in our previous incarnation of this recording, up. yeah, we, we, we really, we really, uh, we're not super familiar with this no, character. To remember her. I do remember what we looked up. She helped found the Sabbat. She helped maintain the Sabbat through the, um, yeah. several civil wars they had. She was in it and she yeah. was always she, about she, it. she, she's one of the, the, the forming, forming members of the Sabbat. And, um, the one thing that made her very important to the Sabbat was her vision of the return of the antediluvians. So she's kind of like a soothsayer, a seer of the Sabbat as well. And a straight up badass. I mean, I don't even think that has to be... No one in this book is a lightweight. No, there's no one one that you you would encounter in a long walk down the, you know, 
to to the corner store. They're they're definitely they're elder characters. They're <laughs> really without peer, and in, in, especially up to this point, there's. If you get a chance to see this book too, it's the artwork that stands out for these characters. Yeah, you know, Karsh looked noble and deadly holding a dagger, but Santasena they have her in, in the first picture looking a little crazy. The next one, she has black, coal black eyes holding a pistol to let you know who she's about and who she's with. Yeah, and, and this is another one of those books that's a, a great uh, uh, example of like Tim Bradstreet art and some of the other artists that uh, have been in previous books. Because this is the, the cool thing about the actual physical copy of this book is it's larger than a normal book. <laughs> so it's going to stand out, you know, on your bookshelf. It's a great like coffee table book. It's not super thick. You know, there's only 13 characters in here. Right. You know, they didn't write a novel for each of them. But it is a unique looking book, and it's worth, you know, spending eight or nine bucks to pick up just to have And it. I have a theory. They had cool artwork left over that they didn't use, and they went, we'll make a book <laughs> out of it. Yeah. And this is how you do it. And they're exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like I said, not incredibly thick, only at 70 pages. But uh, after we've uh, uh, kind of derailed there a little bit... Um, <laughs> So uh, it goes on about uh, Vasanatessa's biography. Um, she was born in the 10th century, so she's got some age to her. You know, she's kind of old. Um, but uh, she she was, uh, um, I think she she started as a ghoul, if, if I remember correctly. She, yes, but how in-depth do you want to get with her? Because, I mean, that's, that's quite... I, I mean... I'll I'll say it like this. This is a cool character, but um, unless you're running like a Sabat Chronicle where you're going to have founding members involved in the plot line, it's, I mean, read read the character for yourself. What we're doing is giving a taste, right? And, right. And we'll actually not even that. We're giving you the importance of them, why they're in this book. McCabe and Auntie Tribute the Sabat isn't a big deal until you realize she her point is to hold the candle for what the Sabat originally stood for. Yeah, she's not about the passive enlightenments that come later on, and she challenges the different factions that erupt in the Sabbat, right? Right. Like you have your status quo guys, and you have your loyalists, and right. what's the difference between the two? And it's like you know, she's she laughs at all that. The Sabbat have forever been about one thing: freedom. Right. Freedom to be themselves against all that bullshit. And the fact is, is a lot of people want to call them anarchs. They're not anarchs. Not not in the slightest. And she'll be the first to tell you they had a niche group that bonded through the destruction of the very most powerful of them to turn those reins over to them so that they can make sure no one else ever had power over another vampire. Right. So and freedom in its own sense. And that's what her core beliefs are, that uh, at the end of the day, the Camarilla is a tool of the Antediluvians, and that's why they fight against the Camarilla, because when the Antediluvians come back, they're going to be very hungry. Right. And uh, they're not going to lay down and expose their neck. You know, that's... And that's the the truth of the matter. More so than any other character, really, she espouses the exact beliefs on what the Sabbat were founded. Right. And she's a good historical figure for that. I think, I think number one way I would use them, or one of the ways, favorable ways I'd use her, is I'd use her in a Camarilla game when you want to represent the Anarchs. And just a group sitting out, I'd have her with her pack kind of chilling in Camarilla City, because honestly... You never would know the difference. Right. I mean, other than her being a little core and them being a little little tougher, because they're free, right? They're not worried about a prince or a sheriff or whatever. Mm -hmm. But they are there chilling in that club that night, a known Anarch club. If the players go there to encounter her and they want to learn about Anarchs, she's a wealth of knowledge to have that discussion. You know what she's not going to do? She's not going to sit here and tell you about the Anarch 
manifesto right. and bullshit like that. She's going to tell you, nah, being and what you're talking about isn't what I am. And that's a great debate of depth right. to develop a character for them to realize what it means uh, to truly be that. Well, that anarch in that sense, not the... Right, anarch in the truer, in the, the truest sense of the word. Right. Back from the anarch revolt, right. anarch. Or conversely, I guess, in the same note, could be the same thing in the Sabbat, but I think it has more impact. Yeah, yeah, from from someone on the inside trying to look out, it definitely For would sure. be more impactful. Especially if your coterie of, you know, your players and their coterie are uh, younger. They don't really know anything else besides this. Right. You know, it's, it's good to uh, to have that sort of conversation. All right, so up next... Rafael de Corazon. Yeah. And uh, I believe, if I'm correct, another one of the founders of the Camarilla. Yes. The mouthpiece, the socialite. The one all things point to. Uh, Rafael de Corazon is noted for when they had the big meeting to discuss the good goings in and outs of the, well, actually the end of the camp of the, of the revolt the first time around. Right. The seeds of the founders laid the seeds for the Camarilla's birth. Rafael de Corazon was the one who pitched it. Who stood up and said, "Hey, this this masquerade needs to be upheld. Uh, remember the roots and the words of Cain. You know, big huge oratory was given right. to all the would be awesome vampires in the ages, and they all took it in, and that laid the seed for the founders to have a hold and control over this new founding sect. Yeah, the, Which, this is the man that is the most fervent uh, uh, advocate of the sixth tradition, which is the masquerade." That belief that living openly among human beings caused the Inquisition. Right. And this is the guy that stood up and, and made the speech. Said use it as a tool, not as a right. And what that means is if masquerade used as a tool, we all know that it's the reason for us to feed and be whatever we want to be away from the eyes of mortals or at least hide what we are from them. Um, not a right, meaning when you walk around saying, you know, oh, masquerade is ours and we should have it and it's there for us. But tonight we choose to ignore it. That's when it becomes a problem. In other words, you take it for granted. You get smoked. You have another Inquisition. And the cool thing is, is that that whole meaning was formed because of the Inquisition. So he gave them, when everyone was saying, what do we do? We're all being killed and executed in our homes. He stood up and went, here's the idea. But it was the only idea. Right. <laughs> there was no other idea worth having. You can't kill all the mortals. Right. You certainly aren't going to wage a vampire army against the world. That's no. folly. Right. It's just not, it's just not a conceivable thing to do, especially when not only do you have the human beings, uh, the, you know, real people burning down your door, but you also have the other side, which is the anarch revolt. You have the, the young revolting against the old and also beating down your door. So you're, you're screwed from either direction. Right. And, uh, here's a guy who stood up, um, used his influence with, uh, his sire, with the other elders and was able to address this group of powerful, influential elders in their own right and convince them that this was the way to go. And that eventually evolved into the Camarilla. Boom. Yeah. I, I would like to say that there's some other things that are that important about him, but honestly, he's a, he's a Tordor and has a Tordor background and mm-hmm. a Tordor background for an elder. Yeah, and I mean, he's one of the most, if, if you look up his uh, information like online, They'll indicate to you he's one of them. He's probably the most influential Torador. He is, quote unquote, rumored to be a member of the inner circle. So, I mean, as far as like powerful Camarilla characters are concerned, here's top five, you know, without a doubt. 
And that's that. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you use him where you see fit, really, at the end of the day. And I, honestly, he's a, he's a clear cut example, too, about uh, we're, we're not going to leave. I'm not going to leave him at all. There's no. nobody in this book who's an angel, him especially. No. But his was timely. Right. One would say it even saved his life to some of his uh, predilections he has behind closed doors. But um, that's that. I mean, yeah. Raphael is who he is. And he is now a boogeyman in the organization. So that's good. Yeah. It's good for him. <laughs> now we're into the meat of it we're into some interesting people i mean those are great and all to know where the origins come from but now we're to gratiano la sombra elder of the sabbat and oh yeah we didn't give what we would use Raphael for uh, i would never use him in a game physically i no. can tell you that uh that's another character where i would use him i would use his influence i would use that somewhere he has an idea, and then something happens in your city. That's that's true. It's a good point. I would use Raphael as uh, somebody. A lot of my players have to take five point um, mentor. And again, we're back to the mentor thing, but also the supernatural companion and whatnot. You know what I mean? Those people get twinky and take every merit in a book to give them yeah. all these specialty background characters. I would take all those points and slam them into one. And I would make it a chilled of Raphael de Corazones. <laughs> right. Still not, wouldn't make it him. him. Right. <laughs> But yeah. chilled of his. Right. You're, you're a third removed phone call. But, right. But his influence is known there. And knowing me as a storyteller, you may talk to him, but that's just when you were fucked up. <laughs> right. You've either done something so great or so terrible. <laughs> it has attracted his specific attention, and now he wants to have a talk. I hate our internet. Our internet is a bastard. Hate, hate. Yes. Gratiano, Elder of the Sabbat. Okay. Clan La Sombre. So, Gratiano, what's no Clan La Sombre at this point in history with uh, Gratiano is that I don't give a damn about his life. I'm going to point that out. Right. I don't think it's relevant because what he did in his undeath is. Now, Gratiano in his undeath comes in when the Sabbat were embracing everybody because they weren't the Sabbat. The Sabbat started as a group of anarchs, just young who said, I'm not going to, no longer do you hold the yoke for my existence. Right. We want some of that power you have, sire of mine, and we're going to revolt and we'll kill you to get it. And people are like, oh, yeah, well, let's see what happens. And lo and behold, enough people got away with killing. They started banding together in tribes. Mm-hmm. And they were just going around doing it, right? Yeah, like war bands. Like any war band, though, you start seeing the vying for power. Right. You know, even in Mad Max, you know, Road Warrior had their Lord Humongous, right? Eventually, cream rises to the top. Someone needs to take that upper yep. echelons. But what you don't see is how Lord Humongous got there. Now, Gratiano, though is the Lord Humongous later on down the road, but at this time, he's vying for that position right. with a lot of other people. And the only thing he could think to do is, I gotta do what nobody else has done. Right. And starts talking to the La Sombra, and they say, hey, if we want to take control of this Sabbat, or this group that's coming, these Anarchs, we gotta prove that we're doing what they're talking about. Really put our actions where our mouth is. Yep. So we're gonna go, we're gonna go kill our antediluvian, and use Zemis to do the same thing. And the Zemis were like, eh, okay. And those two groups split off to go do just that. Now, Gratiano, amazing guy to do it because he was teamed up with um, Lugaj Bloodbreaker at the time. So the two people to note, Gratiano's with the La Sombra, took that group. Lugaj Bloodbreaker, uh, yeah, butcher's name, <laughs> Lugaj Bloodbreaker took the other group to go deal with the Zemisi and the Diluvian. Yeah. Two very different things happen. Actually, they're similar, but yeah. cooler ways yeah. of happening. So, Nate. 
Lugash takes all these Anarchs and they go to the Castle Shadow. Right. What happens? Uh, the Lissambra Antediluvian gets diabolized. Does he? Do, uh, does he? Does he not? That's the common story. That's the supposed uh, truth of the matter. It's definitely what Gratiano comes back with, that story. Now, to, to add a footnote here, why we mention this is because someone else later on will get back to that story. Mm-hmm. But we're going to leave a big question mark here because from Gratiano's perspective, he went and they did exactly what they said they were going to do. Mm-hmm. Went up there, diabolized him. He's dead. He rules because he's in his sire's castle. Right. He's in that estate. Damn the man. Things are great. We're now going to found the Sabbat with the clan La Sombra as one of the ancient running groups of it. Right, because we're the ones that destroyed our founder. We're the ones that destroyed that Antediluvian. How do you end the jihad? You kill the ones having it. Right. Done. Now, moving on with this is that Gratiano wasn't done there. He went back to the other Anarchs and espoused what he did and just recruited, right? Right. Mass recruitment of the most violent people he could run into that were opposing their sires. And he started helping them kill people estate to estate but was also garnering influence over them and their holdings and their lands as he went on. Like, yeah, I'm going to help you, Nate, kill that oppressive sire you have, but in return, I want a piece of this thing you call England. And, you know, whatever that is. You right. got a Hamlin, I want a home there, here's my chill, keep him. And that's and that's that. So reseeding a distribution of power, so to speak. And that's him. That's literally how he comes up out of there. Um, real quick, great story that kind of talks about all that, but what I'm going to say is why and how I would use uh, Gratiano is I would use him easily as being the guy in the Sabbat that you would talk to, to remind you of what your place is. Cause Sabbat's one of those cool organizations. You absolutely could talk to the very head of the Sabbat, the right. region. In fact, that's your right as a member of the Sabbat, you can convince your pack. You're the ductus. You want to go deal with that. You can do it, but you're kind of needing a reason to do it. But Gratiano is one of those people that you're supposed to go to when you need guidance. Yeah. When you've forgotten your way, because he'll fucking remind you. He's a Lissandra <laughs> elder, and he will remind you of what you're going to be doing for the sect. Right. That's how I would use him. Uh, I I don't I don't disagree. Um, I, I, again, this is another character that I probably wouldn't necessarily use face to face, but um, I could definitely see in the scenario that you refer to that being a good idea. Um, definitely someone that uh, as a Lissandra character. Um, you know, if you're playing a Lissambra, you're looking to find out your place in the clan or your clan's place in the world. You know, definitely in interaction with this character. Um, but good point. I, very much so, you know, as a, as a storyteller myself, um, I try, and I don't always accomplish, but I try to only use characters like this in a way that's really going to impact the story. Right. The last thing that I want to do is cheapen what these characters mean and where they come from. Well, I think we're talking the same thing. Yeah. Character growth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This isn't a guy to live or die or, or you're right. I, I say this all the time. Your players have an ego and they believe that they're here to manipulate the world. Right. It's not true. You're here to play a game. Right. You're here to play a character and white wolf handles this very much. So they'll be the first to tell you, do whatever you want with them. Right. But they didn't make these nice glossy books for you to go through and shit all over it. That's my point point is that Gratiano is a character growth. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No matter how you meet him, no matter how the storyteller uses him, if you're that Lissambra player, you should be learning what it is to be Lissambra. Right, and and it's not a character that you want to be using like, oh, our, our pack is playing poker and 
he shows up. You know, right. He's well. the door guard outside of the local manor night club. <laughs> I don't know if we're speaking from experience here or something. Like, <laughs> so. You know, uh, recently. Anyways, right. moving right along. <laughs> so. We don't want to, you know, alienate too many people that could listen. Uh, next up, we have Lombok, who you referred to previously. And uh, yeah, and goes by Lombok Bloodbreaker, Oathbreaker. No, 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 no. Lugash Bloodbreaker is a I, different guy. I, I'm going to edit that out. Right, it's I, okay. It's, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Anyways, Lombok. Yes. Of Clans of Mies. Lombok is, remember I mentioned briefly that Lombok was, for whatever reason, wondering about where Dracula can get a hold of him, right? Yeah. Back in the day. Lombok now, in his, in his life here, it tells you, gives you that reason. Lombok yeah. Ruthven. So here's the Zemis. Imagine the Zemis <laughs> being a very ancient version of the Hills Have Eyes. Yeah, definitely. Right? They're they're that clan that believes in family first above all. Tied to the soil. Right. And they're powerful. Like they've been here forever. The the land yields to them. It gives up its secrets. It takes care of them. It whispers to them. The weather changes according to the mood of the eldest of them. This is the story and origins of the romanticized powers and terror that is vampire. Right. And it's all in the Zemisi clan. No more so than from Lombok's perspective. Because Lombok, you hear about the Cathedral of Flesh, and the Zemisi of that is Yorak. Yorak decided to build this great grand cathedral made out of flesh yeah. and bone of many victims, <laughs> vampires included, um, as a sort of project. That was his art. Didn't really know why. And you find out that it's at the urging of his antediluvian. The antediluvian wanted it made so it could travel. Right. I'll say that again. So he could travel. Yeah. The whole thing's expected to walk around, and it can, because it takes thousands of feet. Yeah. Literally. Yeah, it's, but, it's uh, terrible. That's uh, utterly terrible. Lombok is serving underneath all that. And whatever position you want to put him in in your chronicle, just try to picture that he's the one going around collecting these tithes from the townships and the fiefdom of the great grand Zemisi as a clan saying that we're going to war again. Right. You will now yield up your serfs so we can prepare them for war because my uncle is unhappy with my cousin and their fiefdoms are leagues away, but they are now going to battle for that right. Mm-hmm. And whoever wins has land. Who are you giving up? Your children, of course. That's that. He's thinking he's bringing them back to the castle to prepare for war. What he doesn't know is that this time around when he's going, he's bringing them back to contribute to Yorak. And his project. <laughs> right, right. Fine. But this tells you placement. This is why he is here at this time when Lugaj Bloodbreaker kicks in the door. Because, oh, by the way, the Zemis didn't give a damn about the revolt. Anyone who was Anarch in the Zemisi clan who usurped their sire and killed them is because that Zemisi sire was weak. Right, right. And unbeknownst to them, they inherited the lands that they took over. The Zemisi clan as a whole said, congratulations, it's now your land. That's it. Very creepy. Let them keep it and move on. But they're like, no, we're not done. We're going to do this to all the elders and left. Right. And when they said we're going to do it to the others, they were like, well, here we are. <laughs> no, 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 no. Right, right. We heard about you, Yorick. You're good. We, right. we don't have a problem with you. We're, right. going, we're going elsewhere. Right. Well, they go elsewhere. And Lugaj goes, or do we? I made a deal with Graziano. And God damn it, I'm killing me, the founder. Yeah. And we're here's gonna, what every Zemis did. And, and every single Zemis went, will you have our permission to come through our lands peaceably? And by the way, the grandfather of them all, he lives right in there. What? He's right there in that cathedral. Go tell him your displeasure. Deal with him, Lugaj. We know you can do it. Right. And Lugaj is like, cool. Can I bring my people? Oh, certainly. 
and he comes through and they all fed him and they all gave him all due obeisance and protection and he lets them go right in that castle. If you're Lombok, what the fuck? Right. These people are torturing motherfuckers for far less. Right. And they're letting little guys just come through and so naturally he's like, uh, well, I'm going to watch. Right. These are the people that are throwing, you know, the human beings at the stake. Right. And, and leaving them in the fields for their enemies to see when they, you know, come back through Wallachia, you know, like these are the types of when when we talked about Vlad earlier, right. th- these are these people. When the Zemisi clan heard that Vlad had demanded his right to be a Zemis, they went, of course he did. <laughs> right. They didn't say no. They weren't angry. They were like, well, he's the Impaler. Why wasn't he already? Right. <laughs> it was a done deal. Who dropped that fucking ball? And. Important thing is, though, here's Lugaj, goes into the castle, right? He isn't moving yet, the cathedral. He meets Yorak. Yorak greets him, feeds him, and he says, I'm here to kill the founder. Yorak went, oh, of course. Well, the founder is sleeping right where he demanded to be placed. Please. Opens the door for him, and Yorak shuts the door and leaves. Poor Lombok is like, well, I'm going to go see what's going to happen. Right. And he goes and takes a peek and wishes he fucking didn't. Because what happens is, is Lugaj gets in the room with his whole coterie, and Zemis wakes up. And devours them all. Like in a flash devours them all. Like right. ripped their flesh out, sucked all the blood in, reduces them to ash, and then takes the appearance of Lugaj Bloodbreaker. Tells Lombok, now be a good lad. <laughs> Is all he tells him. Right. And Lombok, for all eternity, knows we didn't kill our antediluvian. <laughs> and I can't fucking tell you. And he runs. He runs. He leaves the cathedral. He runs out. He's stumbling, bumbling around. And that's how Dracula captures his ass. Yeah. Yeah. And and here's a guy that for the last, you know, what, thousand years or right. 800 years has been walking around with this knowledge that the entire clan believes that uh, their founder's been killed and diabolized because the guy that supposedly was diabolized is telling everyone it happened. Right. And Lucas. right. And who does he tell? <laughs> right. Lucas, Lucas, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, goes to the first Sabbat meeting and goes, yeah, damn the ancients. We killed them all. Yeah. Boy, am I tired. Listen, <laughs> that tuckered me out. I'm going to sleep for a couple thousand years. I think I earned that right. You guys be good. Samis is right up here with the Lasombra and Lasombra are like, yeah, powerful. We are too, right? <laughs> so, and you have Lombok, the only one in the room. Oh, by the way, Lugaj winks at Lombok at that party. Mm-hmm. And Lombok's scared. He sweats blood around that dude. And everyone's like, Lombok's a badass dude. He lived through the wars. He's Sabat founded since when? And Lombok does this. Yeah, cool, man. Keep it under your hat. <laughs> Just keep it cool. We're going to go chill right now. So, Death history, pretty cool in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, Lombok is still a great character, but is he a coward? I've heard him be called a coward before. You'd be mistaken. He by no means is what I would call a coward. He is a person who knows a very bad... It's like the devil. You learned the devil is the one who really killed your mom and you saw it. And then he took on your dad's appearance. Right? Right. Like, you know, he... You're, excuse me. The devil takes your dad's appearance, kills your mother, and then does away with your dad, but he's still raising you. Yeah. You can't tell anyone because who would believe you? And he's doing it because it's just a gas. It's just funny to him. How would you react? And that's sort of why I like that unique perspective. Right. It's terror even for an immortal. It's pretty good. Now, into the next person into this chain of events because how their list is kind of how the story unfolds. You now have Montano. Yep. Montano is another opposite elder of Clan Lasombra. So Gratiano 
was embraced. The LaSombra founder is a very cold alien person to try to imagine as all the founders are. Right. But if he's, if, if anything, he's a tyrant first and foremost, that's absolutely true. Which is apropos to the clan. Right. That's just how they are. And he embraces Gratiano like the rest of the clan because he sees of himself in them. But then he also embraces Montano because he sees something different in him as well. Right. And what he's looking for in Montano is he hints at the fact Montano was embraced to save his village. Right. It's a deal that he made with the Lasombra founder. And Montano is a man of his word and sticks to it. Right. A man of absolute unflappable honor. Unflappable. And the founder can't understand it. Right. He can't, but he wants to duplicate it. That much is true. So he made him and he's like that, then I should make more. And he can't. There's no, <laughs> he can't do it. Montano's right. one of a kind. Right. Now, what's cool about this is that it hints at the history of the founder. Now, back if you read the book and not and all that other stuff that we're going to go over uh, later on uh, with some Down year the road. we'll be done with it. Yep. Uh, but it kind of hints to the fact that the Sombra Antediluvian was stolen. Like he had a family, he had a village or a tribe or a situation. They were like figuring out the wheel with the rest of the Cro-Magnons right. and he was happy. <laughs> and you know, like the time of magic and blood, right? Right. Along comes the second gen and ended that shit. And he had no say in it, which made it pretty cool. But you see this when he's like, oh, wow, I made all these tyrannical people because that's what I've become. But now I'm going to make this other dude over here. And I can't because it's what I want, right? It's not what I have; it's what I want. And I can't get him to to flip. Now, what's important about Montano? Montano was loyal as shit. He would not leave his antediluvian side, right? And so, when fateful night, here comes Gratiano here to kill the founder. Montano was away. That much is true. Which don't know is the fact that Montano has this ability that the founder didn't know he had at this time. He could swim through through shadow. Into like another dimension. It's where their power of shadows comes from, Optenebration. And he had the ability to just travel distances, great distances at that point. And when he sensed the, and that's the only reason why he traveled from La Sombra, by the way. Mm-hmm. And when he sensed that the La Sombra Antediluvian was being besieged, that's exactly what he did. He came back and looked, and he got there in time to see Gratiano and all the rest of them zombied. Not like turned into a zombie, but they just were standing there in a circle around the Antediluvian who. Listening to Antediluvian, Antediluvian told him what happened. He told Gratiano, you broke in. All of you defeated me. You held me down. And you, Gratiano, diabolized me. Get out of here. Right, right. And, yeah. and they left. Mm-hmm. And, and Montano heard it. Montano didn't say anything. The Lassamer Antediluvian looked at Montano, basically, and knew he didn't have to address shit. Montano didn't say a word. And then Lassamer disappeared. He literally turned to shadow and fell off the face of the earth. That's no, all she wrote for about a thousand years. No one knows where he went. Right. No one knows what he's about. That's what happened. And uh, he and Montana went and joined the Camarilla. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, uh, like an island unto himself. So, uh, one of the uh, La Sombra Antitribu and the Camarilla are very rare. And right. he's the rarest of the rare because he's a very powerful, old, ancient, and incredibly loyal to La Sombra member of the clan. But why he went there... And you should, if you've been paying attention, yeah, sense of honor, right? Exactly. Gratiano came, assaulted the antediluvian. He had to do what he had to do. Montano was like, "Well, then we're in opposition." Yeah, no, absolutely, and it makes perfect sense if you think about it like this. Like, why would this individual then follow the rest of his clan, who ki- who quote unquote killed the person he was loyal to? Right. You know, so of course he's going to become opposition. 
And at, at the same time, uh, you know, there's there there could be an argument made. Well, why wouldn't he just be an independent? Well, exactly. but he wouldn't be an independent because then he's literally alone. Right. He, literally an island unto himself, which, you know, uh, anybody that has played this game or understands it knows that's really not the best course of action. And that's just in life. Right. And the fact that he was also written to where pretty much you can assume that when Lasombra comes back, mm-hmm. Lasombra will have Montano. <laughs> right. Exactly. There's no doubt in that. Right. Uh, also, there's a reason why the Abyss considers Montano to be a, like a father figure. It's also, it's weird. When you read novels that they have Montano in it, they mention him briefly. He goes there to float in endless depths and Leviathan creatures coo to him. <laughs> they fucking coo to him. <laughs> yeah i'm gonna let yeah, that sit for yeah, what it is yeah, absolutely. it's frightening right you're in the abyss there's no sound there's no light there's right, nothing but right. you can hear dissonant vibrations from ancient large beings that so eat things. so how how would you use him in a game so i'm gonna tell you because we literally skipped a bunch did uh-huh. it on purpose how i would lose lombok you lose how would you use lombok how i would use gratiano how i would use montano is the same tale we just told you guys that's exactly how i would use him is that I would make it to where if you had a coterie of historians or those pursuing the Book of Nod, I just gave you a chronicle that you could run. Right. Where they could find excerpts, go question the source, find out about their business, kind of meet these people. Because this is all knowledge you don't want to fucking know. Right. As a player, it'd be cool to find out. But really, do you want to know? Because the way the camera is set up in the Sabbat is, these these events shouldn't have happened that way right and if you do decide uh to you know to use the the sort of end story uh these would be great because these are all characters that um if you follow the original release of vampire the masquerade eventually there's going to be an end and if you're doing like a gehenna plot chronicle if you're ending your game these are great characters to have because these are characters they're going to know not just think but know the truth of what's going on in the world. Which makes them amazing unto their own right. We are more than halfway through. We have five characters left. Cool. Five left. Brings us to the mighty Etrius. Etrius. known as the Ballless Wonder. Of Clan Tremere. Member of the Inner Circle. Inner Circle. What can be said about Etrius that hasn't already been said about the whole clan? If you're listening, you can tell that I'm not a massive fan of Clan Tremere because I really think that I do like Clan Tremere. Let me take that back a little bit. I like Clan Shamir because I think their content is awesome. I don't like the fact they're called usurpers. I don't like the fact they used to all be mages. That bothers me. I think there was more depth that they were vampires who unlocked this power of thaumaturgy, who learned to work their blood that way, because it gave them more hold, more credence, more depth. But that's not how it works out. And I was it's vampire's not the only product, right? That's what it comes right. down to. So, and this is a great introduction to that mage the Ascension was coming. So, who Etrius is in his life. Etrus was a mage of House Tremere that existed in the Order of Hermes. It was, was a faction that they had there, and they discovered that magic was waning. I don't fucking know how magic was waning, uh, because it didn't make sense. It's just, it comes in cycles, Yeah. and the Fae needed to go dreaming. It was time for the Fae to sleep, because their magic was waning, and the, side, the wheel turns, and the mage's magic was waning, and they decided, Etrus, chief among them, Damn it, I want to keep my magic. Tremere said the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Tremere being a person, not as in the clan. And they come up with this idea. Etrus was charged with finding a way, as was every other member of that group, uh, to find a way to extend magic. They do. More so immortality. Right. And what it is that they were cheated. Now, how are they cheated? 
without going too great into it, because when we get to House um, House Tremere, actually, we're we're gonna have to retell this tale. But Idris was a part of the great ritual that changes them from mage to vampire. Mm-hmm. Now, I do will tell you this much: part of that ritual is that they had to rip off their junk. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, I, pretty, I did. Yes, they're pretty specific in it. They went to a site yes. that later on becomes Seoris. And on that site, they rip off the genitalia and let the blood trickle in the right, Liz. It's the same look I had. Like yeah, really, yeah. There's, you had a, you had a ball ripping ritual, but now they're immortal. Yeah, they're immortal now. Like right. if I rip off my nuts to keep my right, if I rip off my nuts to keep my magic, and it turns out I just have vampire fangs, and my balls grew back. Mm. Why did I rip off my balls? Well, now you're a vampire and you have no sexual feelings whatsoever, anyways. So. Say ta-ta to your ta-tas. Right. That's probably what Shamir told me. What are you upset about, right. Bob? Well, I'm upset that I had to willingly rip my nuts off. Well, that's what I'm upset make about. magical new ones. Right. Gotcha. Go fuck yourself. I'm going to go to sleep now. Right. And by the way, some weird dude showed up with a cup. That's where they got the ritual <laughs> magic from. I don't know why. Clan of mages sat there and they're like, oh, we're going to become, this dude knows all the secrets. Look, it's a dude with a magical cup wearing a hood. Mm-hmm. He brought us what we need. Oh, cool. Drink the cup. Drink the cup. We're now vampires. Yeah, basically. I think they got roofied. Oh, let's let's also kidnap a bunch of people and yeah. <laughs> I'm convinced <laughs> that they got roofied, all of them. And yeah, they got they roofied got, they got by magical Nosferatu. Roofied. Nosferatu came up in the hood and mask, roofied them all. The Malkinus Coterie was laughing his ass off as they bring up the Zamis who gave some of his blood and they started embracing all the Tremere. Yeah. Thinking it was just a gayo time. That's false. That's not what this is about. But no, none of that happened. None of that happened. But I, except for the ball ripping ritual of growth right. here, the, the, the Tremere, the Tremere clan, they're cool uh, for some people. Uh, they're not cool to others. Um, make your own decisions. They're they're an interesting cabal of of usurpers. They give purpose to having a steep amount of occult in vampire. Some clan had to have it. A lot of them do have some of it. Right. But they hold the card. For, for all of it. All of it makes sense through them. And that's why the Tremere are cool. Idris in particular just seems to be one of those characters who is the toady of Tremere. It's that simple. He's the right hand of the antediluvian, and he will never not be. And that's the, his life, mage, his death, vampire, right hand, toady of Tremere. You really don't need to get into anything more than that. Right. That, that holds. Well, and one thing, too, that is uh, kind of important as a side note... Tremere is not the, he's not the sire of the other fourth generation Tremere. They all did the right. same ritual. Right. So they all, at the end of this ritual, they were all equal. And then apparently Tremere, uh, learning that in order to be a truly accepted clan, they need a third generation founder opted to possibly diablerize uh, Solid, who was the founder of another clan and here's the thing Etrus again remember Toadie tried telling Tremere that Salt was a bad idea right right that's what he's noted for so what he shares in common is the same thing he shares in common with Lombok same thing he shares in common with Gratiano in a sense more Lombok than Gratiano and that was this you're not killing the antediluvian I don't know what you think you're doing but it's not that and he didn't know he couldn't explain it Tremere his boss said you know what stuff it we're eating this dude and trouble ensues that we'll learn later on. <laughs> right. Atreus decried right. it. As far as we know, that uh, that diablery was successful. Right. What that entailed at the end of days, that's a tale for another another time. And indeed was successful. Just bad stuff. Yep. And that was Tremere's thing. Now, the other thing Atreus is noted for, he is the head 
in the Cameral organization for all of Clan Tremere. Right. Absolutely. Leads the inner circle. Why, again, right hand of who? The founder. Right, because Tremere is essentially a sleeping antediluvian now. He And they're the one clan that the Camarilla knows has an antediluvian. Right. So it's their powerhouse. They're often referred to as the linchpin of the Camarilla. Everybody ignorantly thinks it's because they have thaumaturgy. It's not. They have a vampire god. Right. That's why. Right. They know of one, and they have one. And uh, they're, they're also probably the most structured clan of the Camarilla as a whole. Yeah, uh, that pyramid structure goes from the very bottom to the very top, and it is this individual's fault or responsibility for that. You got to figure whoever the the life secretary of Donald Trump is is on the ball for keeping things running. <laughs> right. Like you know, we're talking life, meaning handles his doctor appointments, handles paying his bills on time. You know, right. rents paid. He doesn't have rent, but you know what I mean. All the mundane stuff gets done. That's what Dietrich does for the whole clan. So you right. imagine if that dude does that for his sire, and for his sire, for his boss, then they do it for the whole entirety of the Camarilla. Mm-hmm. And they do. That's just kind of their niche. That's it. How I would use Dietrich, I wouldn't. No. He's best not used, in my opinion. He's a good footnote to note that. It, he's good for someone to know what letter you should address when writing the inner circle, because it's going to be brought to his attention anyway. Yeah. So you should probably correctly include him in a list of people. Blah, blah, blah. Dear Etrius, most high right hand of Tremere, Lord of Sioris, current master of that of all Tremere and all things amazing, of uh, the inner circle, House Tremere. Thus the Camarilla noted me. I am Dave of yeah. Edinburgh, and I need more money for college. You know, <laughs> however you want to write it. Right, whatever your problem is. Move it on, you know. Yeah, Anyways, uh, up next, uh, I I wouldn't I wouldn't use uh, Etrius yeah. either. I mean, I can't I can't think of any reason other than for my own personal knowledge of the game. Um, unless I was running some Tremere centric game, and again, you fucked up real bad right. or did something so earth shatteringly good, you get to meet the final boss. If I wanted to announce a game of Quidditch. <laughs> I would use Etrius because he has to denounce it, right? He's the headmaster. Right. He's, he's has to oversee both right. houses. Right. Harry Potter's got to win. So. Uh, I, I mean, I really think the only the only reasonable way to ever use him is if you were running a, strictly a Tremere game. Yes. Outside of that, yeah. Wouldn't do it. Nope. Good read. Good to know, though. Uh, Durga Sin. Ravno Elder and Independent. Yeah, um, she's known to be a um, prophet. Um, she's a Ravno, so that's a thing. Uh, I don't mean to sound full of contempt. I just... Uh, well, not even just full of contempt. Are we sure? Are we sure about what? Because there's another book where she's listed as an Asperatu. Uh Well, you know, th- it's a good possibility. But uh, uh, the one thing that I do know is that she, she uh, at the time of the pr- production of this book, she was a, a staunch enemy of Baba Yaga. Right. Still is as an Asferatu, by the way. Yeah, and that's fair. But uh, according to this book and the information that we have, she's a Ravno. That's that's what we know. And then, by the way, I'm going off the top of my head because I'm almost positive when you look at uh, Rage Across Russia mm-hmm. and you start looking up, you, you look up Durga Sin, you encounter her. She's an Asferatu. 
I yeah, again, I don't know. And, and so that makes it makes it interesting. And and you know, we have to take into account too that uh different books written at different times may have different information, but also And it could be wrong. Right. Well, it, it, you could be right, you but you know, according to this, she's a Ravno. Right. We'll go with that. Um but as a Ravno, is it so far fetched to make other people believe that you you're not? Not at all. But I'm going with what her printed stats state. <laughs> See, right now we have her story and then the other right. one has her printed stats right. with story. Right, and I'm like, hmm. yeah, and I'm I'm kind of cheating because I'm going off of the White Wolf Wiki, and in here it doesn't have her stats, but it does have her story and her clan. Short of me grabbing the Rage Across Russia book right now, no, and we're good on that because we're going to be jumping ahead. And I'm leaving it alone because I'm happy with being wrong if I'm wrong because it's interesting to keep you thinking, right? Which is what a lot of rumors do anyway right. in these books. So, um, regardless, what she does here as an elder independent. You already stated her importance. Yeah. She's a staunch proponent of the Baba Yaga, dreaded Nosferatu uh, matriarch of Russia, the one who is waging war with the entire continent on her own. Right. Trying to wipe out or bring to heal. Um, well, her army of the night with her is trying to bring to heal the Bruja that are trapped there, as in the clan of elders that are mm-hmm. trapped there, as well as every werewolf and werewolf cairn that exists there. It's the first crossover chronicle. Oh that they list where there's relevance to being vampire and werewolves in the same game. And Durga sends an excellent link for that because she's the only one who knows how to stop her, mm-hmm. which is what really makes her cool. Um, why she opposes Baba Yaga is for obvious reasons. The Baba Yaga is according to myth, a very bad witch that lives in a chicken hut that goes around <laughs> doing terrible things across right. Russia. She's a bad, bad, bad guy. And that's that. In the Nosferatu clan, she's uh, alluded to the fact that she's one of the Niktaku. Right. And we'll we'll get to, into those particular dastardly individuals later right. on when we cover other books. Because um, we, we haven't even gotten to clan book status yet. Clan right. books haven't even been released yet. So, Dude, I'm just chopping it to bit. Yeah, absolutely. This old stuff is good for seeds, but you, it's, it picks up later. But, right. Um, so that's, that's great to know. That's what she does later on. Her importance here as well early on is she trains Dracula. You wonder where a lot of stuff Dracula gets and, you know, how does he get his amazing things and his status to jump from sect to sect? Why isn't everybody just rose up and kill him? Honestly, Durgasin comes along and tells Dracula he has a destiny. He just hasn't fulfilled it yet, mm-hmm. but here it is. Do you want to learn more? And Dracula's like, yes, witch, teach me more. Right. And they, they go through it, and Dracula grows as a person. Right. So they add the fact, how does he go from Impaler to just Inconnu? Right, not a psycho marauder, you right. know. How, where does that change come from? And, and it's, the other thing too, like, and we can see, uh, even with all the characters we've talked about so far and, and the remaining few characters that we have, all of these are really building the first seeds of the overarching plot, which is Gehenna. Uh, truth be told, you know, by the time we started, like what was when I started getting into this game, you know, that was the, the big, like looming, you know, Gehenna is going to, these are the final nights. And and that's really where they were building their story to. Now, they wrote that story over the course of 20 years, uh, but it did get there. Also, I told you there was an idea of the Encanto becoming demons mm-hmm. bound in. Right here in her own life, it lists that that's where that story is. Yeah. Because she, she helped Dracula through a lot, but that's one of the things she helped him. Rest control the demon had over him to be truly independent from that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, it is what it is, you know, demon stuff being what it was at this time. We've had conversations about that. Yeah, we're, we're like you and I collectively, we're not super big into the whole demon thing. Um, and it could have been avoided. 
but I whatever. Think, I think it was a pop word. Right. Like, and, you know, maybe for another time, but just yeah. give it its 10 seconds of fame. I think if you need to bring demons into a vampire game, you need to be good at writing. You need to be good at why they're there. Right. And it can't be just because you wanted another powerful monster to walk around for the players to get smoked by. Mm-hmm. They, they got to serve a purpose here. Right, exactly. And if it's not fear, you suck. It's not that they don't have a place, because at the end of the day, this game is really about faith. I mean, Cain is the first vampire. Cain was the, you know, Cain and Abel, the first children of Adam and Eve. God, demons, like these things all kind of go hand in hand, but it should be done in a way that isn't ridiculous. You know, we, it's, it's, and that's up to you as a storyteller. If you ever decide to use those, those sort of uh, features, those plot hooks. I'll pass judgment. I will pass judgment. Any storyteller that uses a demon in their chronicle as a plot device. Goddamn demon in the box. That is a quote. Yeah. At a Gen Con I visited and it it should never be done. It, it, in, in, in fact, it was a scene I was involved in and, uh, Little piece of advice, storytellers. Use it sparingly. It sounded cool in your head. Needed to stay there. Yeah. Just maybe recite it in front of the mirror a few times and Write have somebody else look. It. Yeah. Because uh, maybe not so much with the demons in the In books. a Shamir game, it would be useful. Yeah. Someone creates a ritual to bind a demon. They use it. It's great. That's its part. It's there to scare the shit out of people from reading the book that that asshole was using. Right. At the end of the day, demons and infernalism and all that stuff, they're, they're never a good thing. And... They can go from really entertaining to really cheesy really fast. And it depends on usage and moderation, honestly. That's yeah. the only two things of advice I'd give you, usage and moderation. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Durga Sin, uh, one thing that she's known for is she is known for, she's she's known for like helping neonates, yep. uh, disguising herself as a ghoul or a neonate herself. So definitely a character that um, when you look into, it uh, could be appropriate for any any type of chronicle. Do you remember the old Dungeons & Dragons cartoon show? I do, yes. Do you remember how the Dungeon Master always showed up? <laughs> yeah. They would be stuck in a bind and around the corner, and he would go, perhaps I can help. Right. And everybody was like, why didn't you help us the whole time? That's Durgason. Right, exactly. That's Durgason. It's how you use her in any game. She's just come around the corner and offer help to Uni. Right. The baby unicorn, or maybe teach the cavalier to calm down and not be such a coward. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, definitely a lot of things you can do with her. Uh, you know, look into it, whatever works for you, but um, she definitely can be like your your little linchpin. For sure. Uh, next up is uh, uh, Ginevra. Is that how you Ginevra. pronounce it? Yes. Did I, did I pronounce that right? Giovanni Ally of the Sabbat. Okay, real quick, Giovanni in a nut. The Giovanni clan is a clan of necrom- debased necromancers who are hell-bent on dominating the land of the dead to usurp the power of the living. Usurp, excuse me, the power of the living. Right. To do this, they realize there's a problem. All the vampires in the way. Of the vampires in the way, Camaro and the Sabbat, they assign two very important people. One of them being Ginevra. Ginevra is the liaison to the Sabbat. Her sole job is to make sure that Clan Giovanni is devoting its assets and attention to the Sabbat, according to all Sabbat elders. As long as they believe Clan Giovanni is working for them and only them, Clan Giovanni is free to do as an independent what it's been doing, collecting the souls of the dead to use to help them in their ultimate goal, ruling once they get enough right, power. Right. That's her. That yeah. That's, I don't know, unless you want to add a tidbit. And, uh, no, I mean... Uh, at the end of the day, uh, I'm a big fan of the Giovanni. Um, Huge. They're good. But they, 
in the grand scheme of things, they have their own shit. Yep. They definitely, they are a clan that you, you can run an entire game from, and it will be the most diverse and interesting and disturbing game that, you know, it, it, it's on you, but you could definitely have some seriously good times. And uh, they're, they're really great, creepy people, creepy vampires to add to Always. any any any, uh, any game that you run. So um, I don't think we need to say a lot about it because at the end of the day, it's Giovanni. And she is one of those people that why they, I think they had in this book is that tie to the Sabbat. How she got that position is important too. She usurped it in the clan. Right, which is typical of the Giovanni. That's the tight. Well, I don't know. Typical. I mean, she was what? She was proxy kissed, right? Well, I, when I say typical, I mean treachery. Yes. Yeah. The, the it, it is a family of treachery. Family comes first, but it's always there's treachery around every corner. Here's the deal. To the Giovanni clan, you don't betray your family. That's first and foremost. You don't. It doesn't say anything about totally getting away with it. What that means is if if I am a stodgy old elder and Nate decides that, you know what, I'm going to serve Bob. It's going to be great. He's going to make me immortal one day. We're going to get along. Mm-hmm. And I make Nate do the shittiest things ever just for the blood every month to keep him where he is. And it's been two centuries, and I still keep dangling the same old carrot. Do I really fault Nate for one night forgetting to close the blinds in my room <laughs> and welding the door shut so I can't get out without being burned alive by the sun? Do I fault him? No. No. You know why the clan doesn't fault Nate? Because he had the wherewithal to re-replace that door, <laughs> right? Re-replaces it with a piece of the same wooden door that should have been there always and telling the clan, I don't know what happened. <laughs> right. And his rival comes over and goes, I see what you did there, and embraces Nate and says, you never talk about this and you never do it to me. Right. And Nate goes, of course not. I'm a vampire now. And he goes, no, no, no. You understand. I own you for the rest of your existence. And Nate goes, fuck. Well... That's the Giovanni. Roll the credits for that episode that week. <laughs> right. And that's the Giovanni clan. Right. Uh, Giovanni clan is uh, very much to me, if you, uh, you've read Necroscope, right? Oh, of course I have. So, Brian Lumley. Yep. Right. So the character of Dragasani, to me, is like one half Zemis, one half Giovanni. Or Stragosani. Right. Very, very, uh, like, um, there's a lot of inbreeding going on. Um you know, uh, the, the tearing information from the dead uh, with the, the exception being like the Zemis half don't very close it. tied to the land. We're going to spend so. a lot of time in that claim book. You know, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Excuse absolutely. You. So anyways, uh, you know, uh, with, with the Giovanni, the Giovanni can really be used in, in your chronicle and in a, a number of fascinating and creepy ways. That's uh, the important her one. herself. Um, you know, she, she would be good perhaps in a, in a Sabbat game. Um, where the Sabbat has to interact with the Giovanni and, you know, they have that subtle sort of allegiance. And this is a person who is the liaison to the Sabbat and, you know, dealing with her. And a lot of times the Sabbat are very used to, this is our sect. We get our way. You're not part of it. And dealing with someone who is treacherous and is knowledgeable about the Sabbat and is not just going to be a typical Camarilla toady. You know, that, that can be a very interesting thing. Also, uh, in a Camarilla game. Yes. You know, with the, the Giovanni is sort of the middle ground between the Camarilla and the Sabbat. Um, you know, she can be someone that ha- has to go in to talk to the Camarilla to broker, you know, information. or Well, should they have someone for the Camarilla, right? Right. And that's, that's the point. They already have that person for the Camarilla that she is for the Sabbat. Right. 
But nothing stops her from coming over and serving that role because she's a Sabat specialist. Right, exactly. Because, hey, there's people who want to talk to you. Here's a deal they want to make. Right. And she's the neutral party, but you would have to deal with the liaison for the, the Camarilla at that point. Right, exactly. Because that's not going to be a deal you just step on toes, right? Yeah. But I would say uh, she would be also used as body as, uh, players play bodyguards or they're in the coterie with her. Nothing stops her from having a coterie in both sex that are mixed. Mm-hmm. She, you can have a mixed Camarilla Sabat coterie game, and what makes sense is if she is the one who's the head of that coterie. You go where I say, no, you're not Giovanni, but you owe the clan or whatever reason you're with me for is to serve in this role in perspective. Right. And that makes it very cool because you could be in a tense, a tense Montreal Sabat owned city, but they can't openly kill you, but you can't shit the bed because you're here to represent someone and to kind of see those deals done. It's a great idea for a chronicle, one I might steal. Well, it's not stealing. I thought of it, but the right. point is. <laughs> You're stealing it from yourself. That's right. It's, it's a good idea to use. Uh, but she's one of those people, unlike anybody else in this book, it's not unbelievable you encounter her. Right. She's not some badass fourth gen. Right. She's, exactly. She's just a politico. Right. All righty. Next up, we have Alana Jav. My favorite in this whole damn book. Alana Jav is, is truly, oh my God. He's, okay, so. Before we point to the right. obvious, our favorite trope that White Wolf has done with this dude. I don't even think we should mention it here because it's okay, not something that's really touched on at all in this I know book. we did the recording we lost, so we yeah. good. We, good we did that. We'll correct it here. He's the Black Hand Seraph of the Sabbat. Now, what a Seraph is, it translates as the Warlord for the Sabbat. Just like Karsh's Warlord for the Camarilla, Alana Jav is that for the Sabbat. But Sabbat do it a little different. The Seraphs, they have about, what is it, six? I think it is. I think that's a correct number. I believe it's six of some of the most powerful, ruthless, brutal warmongers that the Sabbat has ever had. And they sit over the Black Hand. And the Black Hand is their militant branch. It's their assassins, their warriors who basically, if you look at the Sabbat, they're a gigantic gang from the warriors. Right. Right? Cyrus was successful and united all the gangs in New York. And on all those gangs, which, by the way, it's an analogy for the Sabbat, just stay with me. They knew that there would only be a, se- a select group of people to get shit done. And we know that it's either going to be the Rifts, which are the Black Hand, and to a lesser degree, the Warriors, right? Mm-hmm. That would be the Black Hand. Now, the Warriors, or excuse me, the Rifts are the Black Hand, and Cyrus would be a mem- would be Alana Jav. He'd be a Seraph right. that oversees what they do, which to me is a great analogy. If you don't know what the Warriors are, you suck. Go watch the movie. <laughs> and they'll make, you know, whatever, how dare you? But... Uh, <laughs> The fact is, is that that's, that's his niche and his thing. Right. The other half is Alana Jav, his very reputation ends battles. Right. Ends them before they start. Right. He's often described as a whirlwind of death. Literally a whirlwind of, like, when Alana Jav has to take, and, and this is funny to me, when Alana Jav takes the field, it is strategical, strategical, it's strategery, <laughs> it's strategic and tactical. <laughs> his moves are just that. But when he has to get up and grab his sword and take to the field, there is no mercy for anyone. Right, right, exactly. Like, he, the, all the hand will get out of the way to let him do what he's here to do. And he enjoys it. Uh, he often is described as being, whereas out of his own description, Alana Jav is looking for the one to kill him. Because that's when he'll be happy, when a true adversary can step up and... Do do harm, I guess, to him is what it goes. I'm a fan of Conan. I'm a fan of Robert E. Howard. And I feel this character and Karsh speak to my heart in White Wolf. I wish I could take all their stats and powers away to kind of play similar in those waters. Because mm-hmm. I think they're great. If you're a fan of 80s films 
and action, these dudes were the ones, you know, gladiator Roman. I mean, they're, they're here for that. Yeah. I, one thing that we can sort of mention without uh, getting too deep into it is that uh, the the history of Alana Jav and the history of Karsh are very similar. Yep. Uh, they're both uh, Gangrel. They both rode in the same regions of the Mongols, and uh, they both have a very similar temperament. Uh, basically, think of it like a, a yin to the Camarilla's yang. You have... Two very deadly, disturbingly powerful elder Gangrel that basically are, are, are helming this war. And as they put it, in Alana Jav, he doesn't speak of his history, of, of what he was embracing. In fact, a lot of people believe he'll kill you for even mentioning it. But if you were crazy enough to, to hear it, rumor has it that on the western steppe one night, he was separated from the great Temujin. And the ghosts of that steppe came and challenged him. For like days and nights, they tormented him. And because he survived, they embraced him and left him alone. And he made his way through the world. No one knows what those entities were. But how badass, because it's the same entities that are hinted at as who embrace Karsh. Right. I'm just saying. In a different way, worded a little different, they're right. definitely there. Right. They, they say, uh, in, again, I'm cheating a little bit, but uh, in, in here where they talk about his sire, they say that uh, he's never spoken of him, her, it, them. And none dare ask. Right. <laughs> that, that, that should say something about your, uh, the, the reputation that you have, that no one will even ask you who embraced you because they're afraid of what the answer is going to be. And I didn't describe this for Karsh, but I will now. I wanted to wait for it. So Rolanda Jav is tactical, right? Black mm -hmm. hand. He leads a military. Right. In fact, he has a bulletproof armored daylight car, a rail car yeah. that he rides the United States with goes where he needs to with his strike team and they go in and they're in and out. There is no massive masquerade breach. They're there to assassinate. And that's what they do. Right. Karsh, the warlord of the Camarilla has a team of basically, I don't, I don't know the best way to caretakers. Mm -hmm. Their job is to clean up after Karsh. Right. Karsh doesn't let anybody kill for him when it's time to end it. Karsh goes himself. Right. And he's, he's, he breaks the masquerade. Right. He destroys it. And they have to dump all this influence to take care of them. Just the cars, pause what they're doing to go and see that Karsh is whatever right, he had to go right. handle, they can cover up. And I think it's also important to note, too, that when we talk about the Sabbat, uh, Alana Jav is loyal to the Black Hand. Right. The Black Hand serves the Sabbat, but at the end of the day, the Black Hand serves the Black Hand. And he is loyal to the Black Hand, not necessarily the Sabbat. Right. You know, they, they do serve the same side of the coin, but the Black Hand has its own agenda. And that's where that's where the Seraphs and Alana Jav specifically are, are where their loyalties lie. Um, how I would use Alana Jav? I wouldn't. The you don't need to. Alana Jav, no. I would use his black hand for whatever purpose you need before I would use Alana Jav. Right. Because well, if you're running a Black Hand Chronicle, I just thought of it. Saying I wouldn't, I just thought of it. You know, another place where it, where it could be cool, uh, a Mexico City game. If you were running a game that took place in Mexico and Juarez or, or you know, again, this is someone that... Oh, at a Palagrand right, or what have right, you. Right, exactly. Have to make a you know, this, yep. is, this is someone that, you know, they might A Palagrand is a grand party held usually once a year by the Sabbat. Right. Everyone attends to show loyalty. FYI. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You shouldn't go to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> no. Shouldn't happen. No, this this should not be something that you pull out of your When someone puts in your sheet, I have a five point mentor and it's Alana Jav, you boot him from your game. 
Right. That character. Not what what, person, what you do is you you have a you have a very deep conversation with them, and you realign their perceptions of what this game is. I would sooner let somebody be embraced by Bruce Lee, than I would <laughs> let them fucking run around with Alana Jot as a mentor. <laughs> well, we have one left, and That's that is uh, that is Dominique Venture Anti Tribute uh of the eighth generation dominique eighth generation ventrue um is noted because of path of honorable accord she's noted because she's a knight the venture anti-tribute let's just talk about the venture for a minute their roots they were knights right they were loyal vassals of honor that tended to their hierarchy accordingly and they served their lords with absolute loyalty and iron will there was no defiance they believed in the sword and the shield they took the causes. They defended the church. They rid the world of monsters, even though they were monstrous. Because someone had to do it. And they knew it was them. And as they see it, they rose through leadership because the world called for it. And it was they who turned the world from chaos to order under their iron will. That's a venture perspective. To do that, to believe in honor, one must give yourself all to honor. Not partly, not sort of when it suits you all the way and dominique is such a person right so much so that it's her calling in the sabbat which is again about freedom their monsters given in to whatever bloodlust that they want she refuses because people who die or people who need to die are simply killed right there is no honor in torturing those you have to right. defeat or put down and uh <clears throat> she's a she's a strong advocate of responsibility believing that those who give in to every urge and whim and, and, you know, uh, every desire are uh, slaves that are just uh, akin to being enslaved by the blood bond. And, uh, um, one thing that is important to note, uh, one of the reasons why she's kind of well known is in, in you know, in her position of influence, uh, she stood up and basically said that our problem with the Camarilla is that they use the blood bond to enslave and not that it exists. Right. And of course, that didn't make her a lot of friends in the spot at all, <laughs> <laughs> at all. But they can't do shit about it because right. she's free to have that opinion. Right, exactly. More importantly, she's no slouch. No, the character is not a rip roaring badass of age or gen. But remember me saying the origins are a knighthood for the venture. Right. Uh, the venture anti tribute still hold to that creed. Right. The Venture Anti and the Sabbat are honorable. They do defend the path of honorable accord. They are called knights for a reason. When you have to fight a venture anti-tribune to Sabbat, know two things. First and foremost, you will be told in advance that they are coming for you. They'll give you plenty of time to leave, retreat, put away those who don't need to get hurt so that your army can take to the field. The second thing is that they will give you no quarter because they expect none and there is no surrender. Those are two very honorable right. points about them, though. The Venture Anti-Tribune are pretty, pretty damn awesome. They're amazing. I love them. <laughs> so I love them. Yeah, if you have the opportunity, you know, definitely look into them. Um, this character is is one of the characters in this book that, again, I think is a, a relatively accessible character. You know, especially if you're if you're running a Sabat Chronicle, uh, this is a character that um, her her age and influence doesn't really put her outside of the realm of interaction. Roaming elbows, right? And this is someone who has a strong belief. And is willing to tell other people about it. And, you know, much like some of the other characters that we mentioned before, when your young characters go in search of information, this is a good character that you can use to be that teacher, to be that mentor, to try to impart some 
you know, and and also on the on the alternate side of the scale, when you have rip roaring, uh, you know, masquerade destroying asshole Sabat members, she might be the one that shows up to try True. to put you back on the straight and narrow. And to the antithesis of that, you could be a Camarilla group who's trying to defend a city, and she easily could be the one writing the letter to tell you to surrender. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you have X amount of nights, and you know you may want to parlay. Great character, great NPC to have come and do that parlay. Because when your players in Dali will try all manner of skullduggery and trickery and what have you, what if it's the one person who, no matter how many bullets she was slammed with, no matter what trick they use, she doesn't mystically know how to get out of it. She takes it on the chin, but it doesn't put her down. Right. And no matter how wounded she was, she still shows up on that night. It right. would shame that coterie into knowing that honor still exists and that they now are probably going to kill the one redeeming thing in the Sabbat is this woman. Right. And is it worth it? Absolutely. It's, it's a great call for that. And by the way, I would never let you kill her. <laughs> no player alive has the stone. That's why they make screens. That's right. That's why they make a pack, bitch. I want to see you. Yeah, you wounded her. Cool. Right, Ductus right. got wounded. Never again. Exactly. Well, uh, that pretty much wraps up this book. We hope that you enjoyed our run-through review. Uh, what are your final thoughts about this book? My thoughts on Children of the Inquisition, going through it a second time especially, I think is a blessing. Because I think first time we were all about just regurgitating what was in the book. Yeah. This time around, it was like, we read it, but we're not going to talk about, you know, we, we gave you the important facts, but there's still meat. There's still a reason yeah. to buy this book. Yeah, absolutely. And this book is amazing because it gives you seeds into every other book you own from White Wolf. You can see those stories flourish and this is where it came from. And if you're ever going to run about an anarch revolt this or be an anarch to preach about that, their stories tell you what the time was like written through the eyes of the White Wolf uh, system right. through their canon. And this is the stuff you need out of this book to know how to appropriately represent that history. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think that this is very much an unsung book. And I think books like this are unsung. And insofar as it's different than your normal, like, uh, Vampire the Masquerade fiction book. <laughs> but, Nate, Nate, it didn't have any rituals or stats <laughs> or new disciplines. It, didn't, it right. didn't have any of that. And that's true. And, why, why would I own it? And that's why it's a good book. The, the, at the end Amen, of the day, brother. it is teaching you about the world that you have decided to play in. And I'll be totally honest with you, the listeners, people that play Vampire the Masquerade, people that are interested in this stuff, the big draw for me is it's not like other games in that I get a new book and it's just a book full of rituals and disciplines and right. and and powers and I can do this with this sword. This is a game with a rich story. And this book especially helps you to iron that out. And if you're not familiar with this game, it's a great book to get and it's a great book to own. And like I said, you can probably get it for nine or 10 bucks online. And it's full of rich art. It's oversized, it's beautiful. And if you can get your hands on a physical copy, definitely pick it up because it's a, it's a great addition to your library. So we give it a nine. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a solid book. Uh, next week we will be reviewing, this will be January 13th. We'll be reviewing the vampire storytellers handbook. So for those of you who are stat oriented, data oriented, great. Also, if you want to know a little bit more about the game, this book is going to have that information for you too. We get to talk to you about our favorite thing, storytelling. Absolutely. How it's done. Get better. Alrighty. Well, until next week, folks, it has been a pleasure. I am Nathan. And I'm Bob. This is